Our story begins 25 years ago, in a distant land filled with magic, anthropomorphic beavers, conflicted dragons, and all sorts of other fantastical creatures. Every intelligent creature in the world heard The Voice, a psychic broadcast that promised unlimited wealth and power to whoever could break the Seven Seals. The Voice sparked a brief golden age of adventuring, with people of every cut of cloth traveling around the world trying to find out exactly what these Seven Seals were. Then war broke out between the dominant nation, the Red Kingdom, and the Unjanath, a secretive, isolationist culture of elves who lived in a forgotten, far-off corner of the world. That war waged on for nearly 20 years, with no one understanding how it started, until finally a peace treaty, brokered by Princess Ravello Red, brought an end to the hostilities. The princess disappeared shortly thereafter, and then the Unjanath retreated from their home, that remote corner of the world known as the Outlands. That brings us to today, where the Outlands Exploratory Company seeks to catalog the Outlands and uncover its secrets, discover its true nature, battle the powerful foes that live there, and simply try to stay alive week from week. Welcome once again to Tales from the Outlands. I am your host, Christian Hoffer, and uh, I am joined, as always, by my co-host and producer, Luke Herr. Luke, how's it going? It has been a week. Yes. But not in the Outlands. No, no, the Outlands Outlands is having some well-deserved rest, and we will explain why later this episode. Um... Yeah, no, but hey, we managed to get a second podcast out in this, the month of July, which who who would have thought it? I I would. I used to do multiple weekly podcasts at the same time. Oh, okay. Well, look at you, Mr. Overachiever. Uh so uh I'm broken th- now. <laughs> um so for those of you who are listening to your first ever episode. Well, first and foremost, you should probably go back and start at the beginning of this podcast, because Mm -hmm. this podcast is not your typical Dungeons and Dragons podcast. There are usually two kinds of D&D podcasts, and we are creating a third genre of D&D podcasts. So usually you have your Let's Play podcast, your podcast where you listen to people playing Dungeons and Dragons. We are not that type of podcast. If you want to see me run that type of podcast, RPG Pals Club. And uh, then we have the type of podcast that discuss Dungeons and Dragons, the news of Dungeons and Dragons, the mechanics of Dungeons and Dragons. We're not that podcast either. What we are is a podcast about an 18-person Dungeons and Dragons campaign that we started up during the pandemic. Uh, it is loosely inspired off of the Westmarch style of Dungeons and Dragons campaign, which is sort of a hex crawl exploration based campaign, but quickly morphed into a thing of its own. And for basically 15 months of the pandemic, 
uh, give or take a month. Uh, it started in April 2020. Uh, our band of adventurers have been uh, building towards a grand finale uh, involving the seals that you heard during our introduction and um, with the fate of the entire material plane, no, the entire multiverse at stake. So, how did we get to this point? Well, you can find out most of those answers on the last 12 to 13 episodes of this podcast. But, uh, to, to set the stage, the Summer of Blood has begun. This prophesized time of doom in which... Uh, the seals of the Outlands, these seven uh, medallion-like uh, magical items uh, are at risk of being broken, thus freeing a, a hive of Faerim, these magic-eating extraplanar creatures who desire to consume all of reality. Uh, standing in their way is the Outlands Exploratory Company, a group of... Um, uh, misfits uh, i think that's the best best uh best way of putting it a, a hodgepodge assembly of adventurers uh bureaucrats uh and soldiers and just people trying to scratch out a living in this uh wild untamed uh region known as the outlands and over the course of the last year the outlands exploratory company has befriended many of the factions that have uh, that that reside in the Outlands or have come to the Outlands um, for various reasons. One faction that they did not befriend is the Arms of Paradise, a a cult uh, like organization. They are basically the Scientologists of the uh, of the Dungeons and Dragons universe, and they are led by the former adventurer Kor, who was originally played by our very own Luke. Now, yeah, he kind of got away from me there. <laughs> Core uh, and most of the party have fi has figured this out by now. Um, has been uh, basically had his soul swapped by uh, a Faerim, and now uh, this Faerim is using the cult to further his own means, um, and has gathered a uh, pretty sizable army and had at. Uh, previously um, implanted most of the uh, residents of the town of uh, this place called Cathedral Town, uh, which was about a thousand or so people uh, with Faerim eggs, uh, which he hoped to uh, use for an unknown purpose. We'll explain what that purpose is in a few minutes. Uh, the other group uh, that the uh, Outlands Exploratory Company did not befriend uh, was... Uh, the vampire Cartram and his faction of ghouls. Now, Cartram started off as a friend to the company, but things went sideways. Uh, graves were desecrated, and, you know, you kind of just eventually drift apart uh, from your vampire compatriots, and they try to kill you. And so Cartram had his own uh, designs on the seals, hoping to use one or more of them uh, to resurrect his dead vampire sire, Golthias. Uh, so, during the Summer of Blood, the Outlands Exploratory Company uh, kind of frantically uh, chased after the remaining seals that were out in the open, uh, nearly losing several members in the process, and actually uh, 
several players uh, either lost their characters um, to be temporarily resurrected through the power of storytelling uh, to bring the campaign to a close or uh, had to be resurrected through other magical means. But by this point in time, of the five seals remaining in the Outlands, four of them had been retrieved and safely deposited into the ancient bank of Untovalara, which, uh, unlike a normal bank, which has a vault, uh, this bank uses uh, pocket dimensions uh, to keep uh, items safe from hostile parties. The fifth seal was not retrieved, mostly because it uh, was embedded inside the eye stalk of a beholder, located in a place known as the Gauntlet of Blades within Storm Mountain. So this is the scene as the Outlands Exploratory Company prepares itself for the final battles. If you listened to the last episode, you know that the Summer of Blood was quickly uh, reaching its um, height. Climax. I was going to avoid that word because people were going to, would make dirty jokes. Mainly you, Luke. You were going to make those dirty jokes. I just know you too well. No! Climax is an incredibly important literary term that is taught multiple times throughout school for a reason. Yes, so we. Can I mean, if I'm if I'm going to make this fun of something, it's the denouement. Uh, anyways, so the uh, summer of blood <laughs> has reached its climax, and the arms of paradise and Cartrum simultaneously make their moves. The arms of paradise unexpectedly begin their march towards Untold Valara, led by Kor and his remaining lieutenants. Uh, all of whom have uh, strange extra-normal abilities. Kor's goal, and the party had learned this, was that he was going to use the eggs implanted inside the Arms of Paradise uh, to basically, uh, he was going to cause those eggs to hatch. And when all of these baby Faerim kind of came together, they would be capable of punching a hole through reality, which Kor could then use to retrieve the seals and break them. Uh, luckily, the Toon Squad actually um, largely negated that plan, but they didn't know how many eggs they had actually managed to neutralize using the Tuscally honey that we talked about in a previous episode. At the same time, hordes of ghouls had swarmed the fields of thunder surrounding Storm Mountain, uh, leading to a lot of confusion. Uh, the company realized it was all kind of a distraction, that Cartram was heading towards the Gauntlet of Blades and was going to attempt to retrieve a seal of his own to resurrect Golthias. So, Luke, your character, your third character, the Faithful, mm -hmm. participated in the final fight against Cartram. So why don't you My tell us... Character. Yeah, no, it was your third character. Floparm's mine. No. Floparm is mine. Now Flop Armor is yours, but then is Core one of my characters, Christian? Well, he originated from you. Core Core actually, you know, came from your head. Flop Arm was mine. I mean, mind you, you changed his name and gave him a personality. But you know, details. Listen, I'm Bill Fingering this. Uh <laughs> You're Improv Lifehead and I'm Daniel Way. I'm a Deadpool that everyone loves. You just made generic goblin. Anyways. Speaking of the faithful, why don't you tell us 
what happened to the faithful and his compatriots during the final fight against Cartram? Uh, so previously we had tried to retrieve the Seal of Fire from the Gauntlet of Blades, which was a massive series of death traps meant to protect the Seal of Fire. A beholder blasted his way in and took over the entire place and replaced one of his eye stalks with the Seal of Fire. And so we got there and... While everyone else was going to hold off the ghouls, we ran into the base, and it turned out that uh, Kartram was just standing there waiting for us, and so we took the initiative, kicked him down a long hole, and it turned out that uh, he had already set it up so that the Beholder inside had been turned into a Death Tyrant, which is sort of a Beholder skull monstrosity that Cartram was controlling from another plane. So this entire concept was actually what was originally going to happen to the Dragon Ashmaker had um, you guys not intervened in that uh, during the entire Velez of the Void saga. Mm -hmm. um, so basically he was repurposing base a uh, ritual that he had gained. Um, you know, that, that was kind of his entire role in that Velez stuff, as he was the one who actually got this ritual. And so when he found out that there was a beholder with the seal, uh, he figured out a very easy way of obtaining the seal without actually having to fight a beholder, um, which he probably could have won. But, you know, um, Kartram doesn't like to take a lot of chances. Kartram works smarter, not harder. Exactly, that is true. Yeah, so uh, the ritual to take over the Death Tyrant wasn't done yet. Uh, there was three different magic circles, so as a party we sort of split up and worked on getting those while also trying to prevent anyone from getting killed. And each one basically had a certain number of hit points that we had to... Uh, dissolve using arcana and religion checks and they were cumulative so mm -hmm. you know if if you made an arcana check of 10 that wouldn't break the circle however that would make progress so if the next person say got an arcana track of 20 that would allow you guys to finish so there was no wasted action by mm -hmm. trying to interact with it yeah uh, I, I think it was a really cool idea yeah, no, I, I really like that concept. And also, it allowed me to put you guys, who are level 6 characters, against a Death Tyrant without feeling too bad about it. A Death Tyrant is definitely something that can kill level 6 characters pretty easily. And um, so you kind of, kind of spread his you know, power out. Also, you guys got a critical assist from uh, Trixie the Black Dragon, who mm -hmm. um, decided to accompany the party... Uh, a lot of her friends were in this particular group, um, you know, particularly her, her kind of closest companion, Ferris. And so um, when uh, things started to look grim, Ferris showed up or uh, Trixie showed up to basically take a lot of the Death Tyrant's um, blasts. Um, and uh, it was uh, it was a close one. Trixie, Trixie almost died. Yeah. Uh, so ultimately... 
Kartram only succeeded, or so Kartram ended up petrifying Ferris and being level six characters. None of us had a reverse curse, and he almost killed Dr. Worm, who ended up finding out that he could get onto the same plane, the astral plane with him, Mm -hmm. on accident, more or less, and then on purpose. Uh, But we were able to kill the Death Tyrant with Trixie's help, and Trixie, seeing that Ferris was stoned and none of us were helpful, basically just stole the uh, stoned gnome. That that's accurate, and flew off to places unknown, mm-hmm. never to be seen again. Uh, so it was it was a victory, but it came at a pretty high cost. Uh, and Ferris is short; he's a no. Yeah, well, I mean, you guys were you guys were the, honestly in terms of um, just the the battle itself. Um, mm-hmm. You know that that was a really good boss fight. You know, one player. Uh, you know, they didn't die, they were petrified and could hypothetically be uh, restored restored through the use of a greater restoration spell. Um, It's just, you know, uh, no one was high level enough to be able to do that. And uh, who knows what will happen to Trixie and to um, Ferris Ferris in the future. Who knows, really? Yeah, uh, I, I want to say it was a really good final battle. I know a, a lot of the time it ends up feeling like it's something where you're just hanging away at hit points and it kind of just gets boring after a while. But no, this was good. Uh, we got to use a lot of our strategy that we had learned, especially not clumping up for something mm-hmm. that can do uh, blasts and attacks and yeah we i think we fought very smart you know the funny the other funny thing about this so one like technical note this was a crossover in which the various players um you know from multiple parties showed up and um you know the funny thing about that was um you know there were you were the only healer in the party Mm-hmm. Um, and that actually worked out because, you know, death tyrants have an anti-life cone that prevent healing. So, you know, it, it, no, the healing wouldn't have done anyone any good. So it actually worked out that you guys were not, um, healing, uh, mm-hmm. didn't have a healer on your side. Uh, so that was the Cartrum fight. Uh, the vampire was defeated. I think it was... I can't even remember who got the final blow. Do you remember who got the final blow? Uh, I know it wasn't Dr. Worm, because once he got taken down, everyone just went in and was just sort of kicking his corpse when it got expelled, at, yeah. especially after he got uh, staked through the heart. Yeah, he was he oh. was definitely trying to kill. He, once he got kicked out of the, the beholder, he knew it was kind of over for him. And mm-hmm. so he tried to take Dr. Worm out, who he had some past history with, uh, with him. It, it did not succeed. No. Uh, I'm trying to remember, because I, I think the final blow was kind of anticlimactic, because, like, for the past, for the last few rounds, I was trying to go and, like, stabilize people. Mm-hmm. And then I wanted to go and be like, all right, I'm going to use the big fire axe that I have that... I never got to fully activate or use against a herald, and then it was just sort of a 
Oh, nope, he got killed. Sorry. No, it's fine. That's that's the way that the cookie crumbles. Not everything can be the wild conjunction of like amazing roles that happen. I've been watching a lot of uh, Fantasy High on Dropout, and when they get those D20s that they need, or those Nat 20s that they need, uh, you pop. Yeah, no, it was uh, that. That is a good show, which we high, mm-hmm. highly recommend. Uh, yes. So, anyways, but back to our campaign. Yes. Um, so, with Cardrum defeated, at the same time, uh, the battle against the Arms of Paradise had begun, and that consisted mainly of uh, the Terror Team and a couple of members from the Toon Squad, and kind of uh, a final fight uh, against Core. Now, that that fight was set up. Kind of like in stages as well. And when by the time they got there and like, you know, they had, you know, battled their way and in the story, they had kind of like there's this big fight between the the assembled forces of the Outlands and, um, you know, the arms of paradise. And by the time that uh, the, the, the adventurers had reached the kind of like rear lines where core was, um, uh, there were several. Um, kind of uh, anti-dragon ballistas uh, set up uh, to, you know, protect from the obvious red dragon Ashmaker uh, from, like, you know, killing them, you know, killing everything. Uh, so Ashmaker uh, was kind of neutralized at first, but he could be uh, brought into the battle by taking out these ballistas. Kor was kind of floating in midair, uh, doing his own, like, magic spell to kind of, like, induce the Pharaoh eggs, the remaining Pharaoh eggs, into hatching. And so, and he was protected by this, like, shield that seemed to be blocking uh, all sorts of attacks. And so, you know, there was basically a main mission was figure out how to take out that shield. And it was actually because there were two of Kor's lieutenants, and one of them just, his role was, I am going to shield Kor you know, using my magic. <clears throat> the other one uh, just basically shot fires and was kind of a red herring. Uh, so a lot of the players kind of couldn't figure out how to stop core. So they decided, okay, maybe we should take out the ballistas. Maybe we should like go and fight some of the cultists and try to kill as many of the cultists as we can so he doesn't have eggs to hatch. And so it was basically a lot of chaos, a lot of killing, which makes sense because it was the terror team. Eventually, uh, a few of the party members figured out that if we kill the shield guy, that will expose Core. And they didn't quite realize that there was an actual like countdown going on. Like, you know, they only had a limited amount of rounds to get Core to stop what he was doing. Otherwise, there would have been a lot of Faerim kind of flooding flooding the field. Um, the only reason they succeeded was at the outset of this. Um, like right before the fight started, um, prior to this, uh, one of the players, uh, her name is Chelsea and her character's name is Roka. Uh, her side quest in the Outlands was basically, um, she was in the process of becoming a living seal to replace one of the seals that was broken. And she succeeded in this and she was granted a boon by her, her patron, the Lady of Pain. Now the Lady of Pain, you know, her boons are hardly ple- you know pleasant things and so in this case it was basically a miniature version of uh, power word pain 
uh, that was basically capable of immobilizing somebody for one round. And she used that on core to basically stop the timer for one round. And it didn't seem to have an immediate effect, but that ended up being the entire reason why their mission turned out to be a success. Eventually they were able to bring core down. They got Ashmaker onto the field. Uh, core eventually became an elder Faerim after they killed you know, cores like human body, he, you know, erupted human. and became, yeah, he, he erupted and became like, became his true form, which was a, uh, a Faerim. And after a pretty epic fight, it was indeed, uh, Hjalmir who dealt the final blow to the creature once known as core. And, uh, they too ended up, you know, successful. It was it was a closer fight than I think they realized. Um, you know, there was a lot of kind of moving pieces because it was more of an open field. There were a lot of different things they could do, and they kind of forgot that they also had in their um, possession, so to speak, core soul, the real core, your core. And you know, if they would have brought that onto the battlefield, that would have had a beneficial effect uh, for them. But no one really chose to pursue that uh, plot line. Uh, and so eventually it was Hjalmir who had a long history with Kor. He did apologize to Kor's, whatever was left of Kor's human side, because he had not known what Kor was dealing with and kind of the, the darkness that Kor was fighting this entire time. And he apologized to Kor before finishing core off once and for all. Um, and so that kind of brings the Outlands to an end. Uh, the two main antagonists were both dead. The party was successful. There, there were fatalities. Uh, the uh, cleric Kalen unfortunately died uh, in the fights leading up to this. And with her mission complete, uh, she had taken on a revenant form and was uh, brought back into the service of her goddess, the Raven Queen. Um, you know, Ferris and Trixie were never seen uh, in the Outlands again, uh, at least not during the time that the adventurers uh, remained there. And most of the adventurers in the Outlands um, chose to depart the Outlands, having kind of spent the last year or so going through a lot of traumatic things they decided that 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 was enough there was only a really a handful of characters who decided to 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 stick around so that that's basically it and that that is what brings the this campaign to a close um now if we had you know if if I, I will be 100% honest. I had anticipated this campaign going on for a few more months. Um, I did not expect the, the vaccines to be as readily available as they were. Um, I um, also knew that once people got their vaccines, that, you know, they would, you know, want to go outside <laughs> and and do things once again. And so it, it quickly became, like, untenable to try to do a 18 person weekly Dungeons and Dragons campaign and expect everyone to be like super invested in it. And so, you know, we kind of sped things up and brought things to their conclusion. There are a couple of like plot points that I would have liked to elaborated on a little bit more like Kartram's 
Um, you know, why Cartram wanted to seal was, you know, kind of nebulous, unfortunately. And, you know, there would have been kind of a deeper storyline to explore, like, why Cartram was doing the things that Cartram was doing. Um, and we just didn't quite have time for it. Um, I would have liked to, um, you know, Core had these, like, lieutenants that I would have liked to kind of, like, delve into a little bit more and kind of dig into, like, what Core was doing. Like, Core had a secret base somewhere in the Outlands that, you know, um, I would have liked to push the party towards. And we just, you know, uh, there's a lot of cool things that were still out there to find in the Outlands, but it just quickly became, you know, you sometimes need to end a good thing before it stops becoming good, you know? Wait, so Core essentially had his own Knights of Ren? Um, in, in a matter of speaking, yeah, basically. I mean... Uh, did you, did, I don't think you guys ever encountered one of them, but basically they were like specially masked arms of paradise cultists, um, that each of them had like different, uh, powers and they were all kind of like perversions of like different planes. Like, you know, some of them had anti-healing abilities or dealt radiant damage. Um, you know, so some of them were like mage killers and stuff like that. They were, they were basically like handcrafted people you know, that were specifically, like, um, anti-Outlands Exploratory Company members. Uh, that was kind of, like, my my idea. And they kind of, you know, they made occasional appearances, but they didn't really make any, you know, they they were never really established. They were going to be, like, um, one of the big threats leading up to, you know, if the Summer of Blood had lasted more than a month, they would have been a big part, bigger part of the Summer of Blood. Yeah, uh, well, and I guess because... The Buddy Brigade got stuck in a vault for three weeks. Yeah. Four weeks. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's also true. Um, you know, you you guys, I, I mean, that I feel was the proper, you know, culmination of what um, the, you know, the Buddy Brigade was all about. But yeah, that, that would have been nice to, you know, um, have you guys a little bit more involved with the Summer of Blood because you guys kind of, went off and did your own thing during all of it. I mean, like I said, that's not a bad thing. That that was really the conclusion of the Buddy Brigade story right there. Uh, it made a lot of sense that, you know, it was all building up to the Hall of Hearts. Um, but yeah, that that's kind of the end of the Outlands, at least this version of the Outlands. You know, uh, of the 18 players who played in this campaign, we're actually retaining 16 of them. And we're kind of shifting the model a bit from a big shared campaign to three smaller campaigns that are a little bit more siloed. All of them will take place in the Outlands. Um, and, you know, that's why Tales from the Outlands will continue, because we're going to keep on talking about uh, these three campaigns. Um, and they're all going to kind of take place in parallel not have as much to do with each other. Maybe occasionally people will hear about what the other groups are doing. Um, and there will be some things linking them together. All three of them are going to have to deal with the Shadow Court, which, as we've discussed in previous episodes, is a group of mind flayers that have conquered the Feywild. And so that's going to be the, the connective tissue between the that kind of links the three groups together. They're each going to be dealing with different facets or machinations of the Shadow Court. Um, but I think I think 
the groups are going to enjoy switching to a more traditional D&D campaign, a little bit less focused on, um, you know, maps and uh, hex crawls and like mechanics and more role playing, uh, more story, you know, just something, something different. I'm trying to think what else there is to talk about here. So uh, all three of the campaigns are, you know, going to draw inspiration uh, from kind of different um, classic D&D adventures. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, each of them are kind of um, a version of a classic D&D campaign. They they aren't like straight up like I'm running, you know, a curse of stride um in the outlands but you know each of them will have themes that you know um people might recognize from past D books you know we're going to keep kind of playing around with traditional D lore a bit and kind of do more adjacent stuff without it being a um you know with without it just being straight up you know this is this is the sort of campaign that you can expect um i i i yeah, it's going to be really interesting. I'm really curious to see how the Outlands is going to, um, like evolve. evolve. Yeah. So, Luke, what what were your thoughts about the entire end of the campaign? What's going to happen next? Ah, uh, you know, I am really excited to see what is going to happen, uh, with like the five-year time jump that we are doing. I'm excited for uh, my new character to go and explore a lot of space. And I mean, I'm a big fan of weird space stuff, like some changeling, the forgotten type stuff, and combined with the otherworldly weirdness of the elithids is, like, beautiful. And then I'm also a fan of uh, tweaking a lot of the classic... uh, adventure types as well i mean right now in my own campaign i'm kind of running curse of strahd except it's happening at the same time as a bunch of uh neogi are trying to uh abduct strahd no as as they are wont to do mm-hmm. um <laughs> uh it's funny because your your group is going to be um dabbling a bit into ravenloft um, kind of picking up on those themes, um, so it, it'll be it'll be fun. Like I'm I'm really excited. I'm really excited about all three games. All three games have very different uh, feels to them, very mm-hmm. different like themes that we're going to explore. Uh, your group is going to be, um, you know, kind of um, uh, uh, James Moore, who's appeared on one of our past episodes, kind of like pegged it really quickly. Like it's it's going to have kind of a Suicide Squad feel to it. Hopefully not as bloody, but, um, you know, you guys are um, getting sent off to do a, a, a mission that maybe not too many people necessarily want to do at the outset. And, um, you know, that's going to tie into some interesting things as you um, explore the disappearance of a well-known Outlands character. Um, not the- Flop Arm. No, Flop Arm actually is going to be making appearances in the Friday group, um, which is going to kind of focus on courtly intrigue at the Court of Ashmaker, who at the um, end of... Well, so 
to kind of explain, I guess that now is as good as time as any to kind of say like what happened to some of the Outlands characters that you've been mm-hmm. hearing about over the last few episodes. Um, in the aftermath of the Summer of Blood, um, you know, Ashmaker is probably the most powerful creature in the Outlands. Um, he's um, has um, kind of entered into a relationship with Ellie Windrow, who is a um, you know the estranged daughter of the leader of the Unjanath, and um, you know has has basically he 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 got her pregnant. Um, which is interesting because Ellie Windrow actually is, um, you know, descended from a god. And so Ashmaker is very keen on protecting the Outlands and um, quickly reaches an accord with the Red Kingdom and is basically installed as kind of a a regent of sorts, Um, you know, watching over the Outlands and him and Ellie Windrow basically establish a court um, in uh, the Summer Estates, which is the former home of the Braided Branches, and they kind of um, take over the Braided Branches organization, and so they they become kind of the more like dominant the the the, the dominant ruler force um, within the Outlands. Um, and you know, Ashmaker has been like he's a reformed you know character. He's a good Red Dragon, as weird as that might sound, because he considers his horde to be his people and uh the people who live in the outlands um so that's that's what happens to them um and so you know kind of some of the remnants of the uh outlands exploratory company end up with uh you know ashmaker and ashmaker's family um we you know and ashmaker's child is you know actually befriended by a another creature you know another person who has a lot of experience with being a weird little thing who's too smart for his own good while also retaining a lot of, you know, while still being a child. And that is flop arm, you know, they're, they're kin true, just weird kids that, you know, are both kids and also extra dimensional beings, of great power. <laughs> I know? mean, isn't that what all children are at a certain age? No, that they are not at all. Um, <laughs> Uh, so yeah, so that's that's why you know flop arm flop arm um, you know uh, will will be making appearances in the Friday campaign. Uh, you know the other parts of the Outlands Exploratory Company, including your character Faith the Faithful, um, and we saw you know Ken's character Kovir, uh, a few characters uh, kind of form a um, almost like if Ashmaker is the public face of the outlands and kind of like the 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 public rulership they're kind of almost um like a x-force yeah they're like the shadow council you know artist ellendell you know they're they're the ones who kind of um you know are keeping an eye out on the extra dimensional threats and stuff like that you know ashmaker is kind of like the big target you know and they're the ones who you know kind of um take care of things quite you know more quietly than not um you know and they kind of take on what the braided branches used to be basically where you know kind of trying to deal with threats without publicizing it so a lot of that like you know the 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 elements that kind of like lurk just under the surface and so we see that with Govier, artist ellendell uh the faithful um and a few other characters kind of become that and that is how um the sunday group kind of gets involved with them um 
the Tuesday group, uh, they will be based out of uh, Dragon's Tree, which is the city that uh, is built up on the um, foundation of the outpost. Um, and they will be um, actually working for a, a uh, player character that a lot of people um, love to hate, and that is Jackmander. Um, and he is Jackmander has kind of become a um, less than reputable uh, business person uh, during the five year gap as you know, he kind of no one else was after everyone else abandoned the outpost. He saw an opportunity and he took it and kind of um, he's not a you know, crime boss is not a uh, quite the right thing, but it's more just a um, company store situation. Not not quite that. It's more just like he's he's a very prominent business person and he would prefer, um, you know, he, he makes use of his influence. Well, let's put it that way. Um, kind of like um, the kingpin also only not, um, you know, maybe not as explicitly evil. Um, and, you know, Jack Mander is more just like a shady guy. You know, he's not necessarily like a bad person. He's just very shady. You, you know, did you ever have like, like that, that, that one friend who's like, Oh yeah. Like I know a guy, you know, that's uh, Jack. Yeah, yeah. The guys who I was in the D and D group with, and then they dropped out of school to make a gambling website for the mafia. Okay. Yeah. No, that's, that's basically Jack Mander. That's precisely what Jack Mander is kind of like doing. <laughs> um, so Jack Mander, Jack Mander basically recruits a party of um of of characters um to to handle some mysterious things that may have popped up um in the in the Outlands um that um he may not want other people to know what actually is going on there. And so that's kind of like where our three campaigns are going to go. We're going to have one campaign that's focused on um, Ashmaker and, you know, kind of continuing that thread of, you know, what happens when a red dragon becomes a, a, a actually a pretty good king? What sort of attract, you know, attention does he attract? And, um, you know, what can people do to try to, like, prevent that, you know, bad things from happening to Ashmaker, his family, and especially Ashmaker's kid? who is both a red dragon and a god, you know, an actual demigod red dragon. Um, and so we're going to kind of lean into, it's going to be a very dragon-themed campaign, which I I personally love dragons, so I'm very excited about this. Sunday campaign will be kind of the horror uh, themes in which kind of like dealing with um, certain elements that are... Um, dangerous and um kind of delving into things that things that most people probably wouldn't want to delve in and there's kind of an intriguing mystery um that may take that party to unexpected places and finally you know uh you know we've got uh the tuesday group will be kind of doing a little bit of dungeon delving and trying to keep certain secrets um, from being uncovered while also trying to solve some problems themselves. And so that's kind of where the Outlands is as we enter season two. Well, I am excited to re-enter 
the Outlands. Yes. And so we will pick up on this podcast in August. Uh, we've got the first games uh, of two of our campaigns starting up here in the next uh, week or so. And, um, you know, then I'm going on vacation. And after I get back from vacation, uh, we'll really start delving into the Outlands and we will start doing podcasts, hopefully on the regular, because as summer winds down, surely things will become a little less frantic. <laughs> I say. Um, but as always, thank you so much for listening. Um, if you want to hear more about the Outlands, be sure to follow our Twitter account at Outlands Pod. Um, let's see, or what else? Be sure to leave nice reviews on uh, iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, assorted podcasts, places. Um, and if you want to uh, uh, find uh, more about Luke, Luke, where can you be found on the internet? You can find me on Twitter at, at Coltreg. That's K-O-L-T-R-E-G, where I'm typically talking about Gomez the Cat from High School Family, the hit shonen jump manga that you should all be reading. Uh, you can also find the D&D actual play that i host at rpg pals club and then we're getting close to me dropping my fallout columbus role-playing game but otherwise i've really slowed down and it's different it's nice it's preventing me from feeling the burnout that i feel otherwise oh and i'm really excited to listen to your fallout columbus podcast when that kicks off here in a in just a few short weeks. Mm-hmm. Um, meanwhile, you can find me at C. Hoffer C. Bus on Twitter, um, where I go and talk a lot about Dungeons and Dragons and other things. And you can also find my articles about Dungeons and Dragons on comicbook.com, which is owned by CBS Viacom. Uh, well, that is it for the Outlands. Thank you so much for listening uh, to us talk about this big wild uh rambling campaign for the last few months and uh this kind of concludes season one of the outlands we'll probably i don't know we'll probably do like a new intro for season two of the outlands and kind of set the tone there so we'll probably start diving more back into the lore of the outlands with the next episode and kind of start fresh i think Mm -hmm. is uh, a good way of doing it because we really have the opportunity to kind of like do a soft reset. Bring people in, use some of the established lore, figure out what's on the beach. Yep. Uh, nothing nothing else is left on the beach. It's it's all been found. Just a very plain, boring beach now. Uh, well, until next time, thank you so much for listening and keep adventuring. And remember, don't eat the dice. Our story begins 25 years ago, in a distant land filled with magic, anthropomorphic beavers, conflicted dragons, and all sorts of other fantastical creatures. Every intelligent creature in the world heard The Voice, a psychic broadcast that promised unlimited wealth and power to whoever could break the Seven Seals. The Voice sparked a brief golden age of adventuring, 
with people of every cut of cloth traveling around the world trying to find out exactly what these seven seals were. Then war broke out between the dominant nation, the Red Kingdom, and the Unjanath, a secretive, isolationist culture of elves who lived in a forgotten, far-off corner of the world. That war waged on for nearly 20 years, with no one understanding how it started, until finally a peace treaty, brokered by Princess Ravello Red, brought an end to the hostilities. The princess disappeared shortly thereafter, and then the Unjanath retreated from their home, that remote corner of the world known as the Outlands. That brings us to today, where the Outlands Exploratory Company seeks to catalog the Outlands and uncover its secrets, discover its true nature, battle the powerful foes that live there, and simply try to stay alive week from week. <laughs>